You're listening to the Ultimate Road Trip Podcast, sponsored by the Classic Motor Hub. Hi everybody, we're back. Welcome to Season 3 of the Ultimate Road Trip Podcast. And if you haven't heard it before and no idea what it's all about, well, it's all pretty simple. There are five questions. What's the car? Why that car? What's the destination? Who's the passenger? Who are we taking? And one seminal track, just one tune. And over the past year and a half, I've been lucky to ask these five questions to lots of famous and not quite so famous, but always interesting guests. And with season three, we already have a great lineup from three times F1 world champion Sir Jackie Stewart, W Series boss Catherine Bonmuir, entrepreneur and dragon Theo Pafitis designer Mark Newson and one half of the biggest selling duos of all time, singer John Oates. Now, before I tell you about my guest for this first episode of the new season, I want to talk briefly about something my dad once told me. Now, my father had plenty of interests, not least cars, travel and music, specifically jazz. He was a total jazz nut from big band to Cuban jazz, jazz blues, trad. He loved every genre. And I always remember him quoting a jazz musician who once said, you can have everything, but if you ain't got rhythm, you got nothing. When I was young, I reckoned I had it. Rhythm, that is. Possibly from many car journeys spent listening to dad's jazz. And uh, having practised on various pots and pans, I asked my parents for a junior drum kit. I took lessons from the main drum major in the local brass band, but I never kept it up. And I know you shouldn't have regrets, but not continuing with drumming is one of mine. I've interviewed plenty of drummers in my time, including Roger Taylor of Queen, Nick Mason of Pink Floyd, and this week's guest, well, you've just heard him on the intro music to The Ultimate Road Trip. The track is Step Out of the Car by the brilliant The Boxer Rebellion, and I'm joined on The Ultimate Road Trip podcast this week by their drummer, Pierce Hewitt. We spoke over Zoom a few months ago, and as you'll hear with the absence of touring and other events with the band because of lockdown, he's been concentrating on his drum teaching, moving it online to keep himself busy. Piers is one of the band's founding members, and uh, they formed in 2001. Their reputation spread quickly. They played Glastonbury in 2003 and released their first EP that same year. Their debut album, Exits, followed in 2005 on Alan McGee's Pop Tones label, which unfortunately folded shortly after the release of the album. After one or two wilderness years, their words, their second album, Union, was released in 2009 to critical acclaim. But as they were no longer signed to a label, they released it independently, with the first single off the album, Evacuate, making iTunes single of the week. The album itself reached number four on the iTunes album charts and the band became the first musical act ever to appear on the Billboard album charts on a digital-only release. They then toured the world, appeared in a Hollywood film, on Letterman, on Jay Leno and, as the band say on their website, on the holy grail of Soccer AM. A further three albums followed before their most recent release, Ghost Alive, which came out in 2018. And from that, the single Lose Yourself benefited the mental health charity Calm, the campaign against living miserably. And considering what we've all had to live through over the past 18 months or so, this album is particularly prescient, with mental health awareness being very much in the spotlight. It was great to catch up with Piers for the podcast, as we first met, as you'll hear, a few years ago when we worked for the same company. 
This was just before the band's increasing and justified success. But what about Piers' ultimate road trip? Well, he's covered many miles with the band over the years, and much like their fan base, his choice of car, destination, passenger and tune spans both sides of the Atlantic. And I'm delighted to say I'm now joined by Piers Hewitt of the Boxer Rebellion, live from his home in Chelmsford. Piers, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. I think you've been giving... A drum lesson? I think lockdown, you've been concentrating a bit on that because obviously you've not been doing much live performing. So you're doing more of your your drum lessons. So uh, is that one of the ways you've been coping through 2020? Uh, Coping? Uh, Yeah, there's there's not much else to do. So um, I always taught anyway. I've taught all throughout my adult life, um, sometimes more than uh, other times. But yeah, it's all gone online and it's been... Uh, it's been all right, really. I, yeah. I, I started it thinking, oh, I was very relaxed about it all when it all started, thinking, oh, I don't know how things are going to work out here. But um, it's actually very convenient for some people, and <clears throat> I can get behind the kit, show them a lot more than sometimes um, when they're in the room with me. And, and um, it's not much of a commute for them. No, exactly. And they can be anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world if they're a fan. Yes, I do. T- I teach somebody overseas now, and I teach people in Bristol and and um, Birmingham and places that I wouldn't have thought about before. So pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And we just heard a few uh, bars of your work at the uh, beginning, as we, uh, of course, I now use the intro to step out of the car to introduce the Ultimate Road Trip podcast. That's what you're here for, the Ultimate Road Trip. Um, and we'll touch upon with each question, you know, how you've been. Uh, through this year and uh, and being in a band for 17 years, I think the Boxer Rebellion was uh, you formed in in 2001, uh, 2002. As a yeah, as a band, um, 19. We, we were we spent a good um, we spent a good one to two years being pretty average to poor, uh, <laughs> but we we kind of rehashed as a Boxer Rebellion in 2000. And, Two, but we got together in 2001 uh, so we are looking at 20 years next summer which doesn't make me feel old at all no of course not well let's before we uh, talk more about the band let's start Piers with the first question for the ultimate road trip which would be the car I don't know if you're a big car fan but you've uh, you know you'll have done a lot of journeys tours etc mainly I would have thought in buses and vans or whatever but if you had a, to choose one car make model and colour I've got my reasons for not being a car man. Um, I, I, I feel like you've got to be—you've almost got to be—you've um, almost got to be born into the interest a little bit. And uh, and I always—I um, always grew up. My, I feel like you know, my parents were primary school teachers, and a car was uh, more of a privilege than a leisure pursuit. Sure. I remember with that attitude thinking um, that it was a an unusual thing to desire cars in that way and so one of the first times I ever thought like that was I guess I was about maybe about 10 and um and Mark Cohn who wrote uh, Walking in Memphis yeah the album that that is off he's obviously got a song called Silver Thunderbird and mm-hmm. it's all about his dad's love of his Thunderbird and um uh, yeah, lyrically, all, all about him getting up in the morning and dusting it down and starting it up. And and uh, I'd never really thought of cars in that way. They always seemed so functional to me. And 
Um, and so that's the first car I ever really became aware of. Became aware of, yeah. So in that in that context, so then somebody cherishing it and polishing and treating it as a as a not a person but a character. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to me, it was a it was an A to B ball ache, which which is what it seemed it felt like for my parents. They either had it available to each other or they didn't, and they argued about it, and they never really wanted to wash it. And yeah. So, like yeah, to have uh, to have somebody sing about something like that was um, different. So I'm going to go with an like a late fifties Ford Silver Thunderbird. Beautiful. And they yeah. look amazing. Yeah, they do. And so that's the reason. So it's it's obviously got a, it's imprinted in your mind from when you were when you were small. Question. So that's the read. Question three is the destination. As a band, you've been you've been everywhere. You've brought out what five six albums now or six. with your with your rarities yeah yeah oh no with the rarities would make seven okay and actually the rarities is a double album so strictly speaking eight is it um, but yeah. obviously as a, as, a, as a band you know you've done a lot of touring you've uh, you've got a, a big following not just in the uk but especially you're, you're probably you probably do more touring you've done more touring abroad have you yeah than, in the uk I would say we're the UK isn't even now, you know, in the top three markets for us really. So, and we've also because of our general, you know, size, we we've been a, a mid-level band most of our careers. You know, not all of our certainly not not a massive amount of our touring has been um, on coaches. So it's probably fifty-fifty sleeper coach stuff, and then fifty-fifty included with driving it ourselves. So. We've um, we've driven tours. We've driven two tours all around America. Yeah. Um, which uh, is that you, fun? Yeah. Do you is that do you enjoy that element of the of the whole being in a band thing? Uh, I mean that that I'll never forget those particular tours as being the hardest working tours we've ever done. Because you play later in America, you you can often get back to your because if you're still on a, you know, if you're driving yourself, you'll go to a hotel. Yeah. So you'd be quite, you can quite easily get back to bed, or or even just to your hotel about two, three in the morning, and then if you've got a long one the next day, you could be easily leaving at eight. Yeah, yeah. And then you're driving for six hours, and then you're doing the full load in, set up, show, pack down, and it's t- relentless. I can imagine. It, yeah, it's really, really tiring, and it, and it really. And it really grates, it can really grate on you as a group because you never really get to have any time away from each other as well. And, um, but then in the, same, in the same regard, we've obviously since toured on a coach where, you know, you get in, you go to bed, you wake up, you're either where you need to be or you're not far away from it. You don't see any of the, you see the cities, the yeah. more cities, but you don't see anything in between. So I think my memories of my US touring, we've done six or seven, is probably stronger of the early ones because we saw so much more of it yeah yeah. i'll never forget i did a bit of driving one morning after a gig we did in minneapolis and this is proper road trip stuff okay and um our next gig was in seattle which is (laughs) it wasn't wasn't the next day right but to give you an impression of how you know out of a film this type of drive that day was I turned on to the I-95 and it said, turn right in 950 miles, <laughs> <laughs> which 
was I was like I had, home. Yeah. I, I was like lads get a picture of this <laughs> uh, and it was you know proper tumbleweed we went through all of North Dakota in one day there was nothing to see that's road trip stuff yeah yeah uh, we've done our fair share of self-drive touring as well as um you know being driven deeper coach touring yeah and they both have their benefits so where if you're on your thunderbird where yeah. do you where would you go to what's the destination i i say to people it could be you know a, a hotel or a bar or a beach or a just a city that you love or it can be anything you want it to be um well you've got to do some driving as well haven't you? right yep I mean, I was obviously assuming that this drive didn't mean starting from Chelmsford. <laughs> we're reasonably limited, you know. You are, unless you're going to go up across the Bering Strait into America that way, but yeah. Yeah, but I've done the M11. I don't need to do it at the Thunderbird. No. Um, the, the, we've been pretty lucky. Like you said, we've been, we've been to a lot of places, and when you go somewhere for the first time, you really do try and take it in. And... Um, the most beautiful country we have travelled across um, was Norway, okay. um, but we travelled across in the, the depths of winter, and I am talking, we were warned about not having snow tyres, right. and we saw cars which are obviously, we saw houses which are obviously abandoned for months at a time in the winter because just, they're just uninhabitable. Yeah. And uh, it was awesome. It was, it was the, the only place I've ever really been where it was just pure white everywhere. So that's the most beautiful place I've been to, but I wouldn't necessarily drive it in a Thunderbird. <laughs> so um, my favourite drive, because we've done it a few times, is actually um, from San Francisco up to Seattle. Okay. And that whole... that whole coastline and through Oregon and it's so beautiful and, and not, not, when many people go over to visit the US they often they go do, south yeah do the west coast and they do Vegas up to San Fran and then they go home or vice versa but they're missing out so much and Seattle is such a great city so Portland actually yeah drive is great and then the 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 general um you know the, the kind of temperature is gets very similar to how it is here which is a little bit more comfortable than what we're used to uh and just the scenery is is just incredible it's so great yeah. so that would be my that would be my drive so up to seattle which is the home of the space needle isn't it i think is that right or hope yeah. Fraser. Uh, Fraser, i know that you've played all the cities up the west coast i know you played la obviously you've uh, you, you you were on jay leno's he's a big car fan you played the tonight yeah. show with jay leno didn't you yeah, we did. That was um, that was a well, good six, seven years ago now. Um, yeah, there was. A, I think that was quite near to the show finishing. Um, right. I don't think it, don't think it ran for that much longer. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I didn't really. I was doing the. I was the sad act packing up at the end of the show, whilst the other guys actually saw him a little bit more in the dressing room. And so I don't party think, I don't, with Jay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think my 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 bassist. I think he muscled in and started talking about cars, and that's that's all you need with someone like that, isn't it? If you haven't got if you haven't got the if you haven't got the conversational link up, then you bring up the wheels. It's another person, aren't you? But just going back to being on uh, American television, your first experience—you had your 
net, and I watched it, I've seen it before, but I watched it again yesterday, your network television debut on Letterman with Step Out of the Car. Yes. Which, which, in, which was a few, which was 10, I think was it 10 years ago now? So that must have been a great experience. Oh man, that was, that was such a... What was that like? What was that, what was the whole, because that's kind of like just, you know, that's the kind of you've arrived moment. Yeah, I remember, I remember it, the opportunity came up very quickly. And um, so we, we, it was, yeah, it was super exciting. We actually had our first proper sync on um, like Grey's Anatomy as well the same week, which it's weird where you kind of build these things up and you think, oh, wow, well, this is going to, this is going to turn that cog and that cog and then this is going to happen. And you really shouldn't <laughs> do that. But like, I remember the day was a, uh, I remember so much detail about that day. We had to be there super early. Yeah. I stayed at a friend's flat in uh, Queens. Um, it's absolutely tipping it down. We had to be there so early, it was still dark. I was walking across Times Square. Uh, Times, Times Square. I turned up, I was like a drowned rat. Honestly, it was unbelievable. And we had to be there so much earlier than the rehearsal, and he didn't turn up for the rehearsal. Right. Building up to a good story, by the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, because he was getting on a bit and he was near the end of his run of shows as well at the time. So he um, he wasn't present for the rehearsal, which we were present way earlier for than we needed to be, in my opinion. But that's how it works. And it's a very small theatre there, very tight, very compact, right in the middle of town. Yeah. And once we've done this rehearsal, all our gear was shifted off on on, uh, on little rolling risers and stuff and kind of tucked into the corner and that was a little bit nerve-wracking because you're getting told that we'll, you'll be wheeled on in an advert break. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I got told, what, you know, when you go on, Dave will introduce you and, um, you know, and then you're good to go because that, that was a very much a live song we played there. So I clipped them in and we started all together and, you know, proper old school. Yeah. Old school rocking show that. And uh, anyway, so I'll never forget, we, they, the advert break started, they wheeled us on really, really quickly. Uh, and we're suddenly in place, we're probably in place for a matter of seconds before suddenly you can hear the audience going, come, like, doing their canned applause. And, and then suddenly, I suddenly hear somebody talking across the studio. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it's David Letterman, but he's not in my monitor. And I thought, oh, I could have done with him in my monitor, you know, I, I could actually could have done with hearing what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it got to the point where I, he said, I, he said the Boxer Rebellion, but and then I heard the audience clap and I was like, right, good to go. So I, I clicked them in and, I, and, and we started. And I got halfway through the verse. Good job the camera wasn't on me really, because I went bright red. And I just thought, what if he didn't introduce us? <laughs> And I, he was just and saying I, they're on in five minutes, kind of. Oh man, <laughs> I'll never forget that feeling. And I, you can just about see how red I am by the end of it. And it's not because I'm out of breath; it's because I suddenly had that bum-clenching moment of have I stuffed things up massively? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and, and that it was, looks it was seamless. From if you look at it on YouTube, uh, listeners, yeah, it's, you, you wouldn't notice at all. It was great, and then we yeah we went out with a with a bunch of friends that evening and watched it on lot watched it on TV when it came out in the in a bar, and then you know, Elvino. Yeah, 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 and had a and I loved I always loved this guy. I was I mean, first time I saw, it, I thought, nice job, buddy. Try and get a raise. The old <laughs> that raise never happened. <laughs> oh. uh, but yeah, that's no, on like it's funny you asked me about that because that is literally one of my favourite days in the band. 
Really, I can imagine. I mean, that is, as I say, the uh, the moment uh, you know you've arrived on American telly, and obviously you've been on the big screen as well. With uh... you mean Drew Barrymore was on the big screen with me? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Now the the thing about things like this is you, like I was saying earlier, when you visit a new country for the first time and you try and take it all in, um, is because you realise how privileged. It, a job you can be in and it's not just musicians who get to do this plenty of people but um very privileged position to be in when you do things like that and you get to travel so much but you only get to do things for the first time once and and it, it never feels the same when it, it happens the same as when you when you if you get the opportunity to do anything like that again even if it's headlining a certain venue or being in another country again like the first time we went to japan i never thought we'd go back and it's like an all-consuming trip. Um, we did go back really luckily, really, really fortunately. And I was, again, I don't think we'll go back. But these things you just got to, when they happen for the first time, it's like a chaotic, messy, exciting dream. And you've just got to try and remember as much of it. Like when you wake up first thing in the morning, when you've just had a dream, you're trying to remember all of it. Yeah. But you say that, you know, with Letterman, you remember that. It sounds like you remember like it was yesterday uh, from just the little details. And as I say, yeah, you, you must be so the excitement and the getting the, the job done and the uh, uh, and the, you know, everything must it must be j- tricky to remember it all. So uh, but going the distance with the film, wasn't it? Um, yes. Um, which was, again, another big moment for you as a band. Um, so let's let's before we go back to the band and we've, we're going to Seattle in the, in the uh, Thunderbird. Question four, uh, who's the passenger? um, A lot of people say they're partners, which is absolutely fine. Oh, I also ask if there's somebody, if your partner was on a girl's weekend somewhere else. Right. Well, uh, I didn't. Don't worry. You don't have to have an answer. It's just. I have an answer, but it's not Emma because uh, my wife, Emma. Because uh, I didn't, I assumed that that would not be, that would be a very boring option on a podcast such as this. So, but she would kill me for saying that. And she's never, <laughs> she's never been, she's been to, uh, she's been to Vegas before, but she's certainly never been to that part of the country. And I do talk about it a lot. So that would be great. So obviously, now you've said that, number one option would be um, my wife. But she, as you also say, she is on a spa weekend already. So. There you go. Um. I did. There are so many people out there. Are you talking dead or alive? Yeah. Um, I also assumed alive. Okay. Be a bit, a little bit difficult. So, I want. I was thinking of someone that would share my interests, but have so much to tell me about my interests that I don't know, uh, and have and have will have also shared so many more experiences than I than I certainly have. Right. So I went with Robert Plant. Um, so I've never met him obviously know quite a few people that have and I've never heard a bad thing about him in terms of them meeting him um, but he's a I'm a huge football fan Yes. and uh, he is a huge Wolves fan to the point that I'm, I've been reliably informed that he used to book their Z dates around Wolves fixtures which oh, really? I think is fantastic <laughs> um, if I That's ever just- did that you're south, south End, is that right? Yeah, we're going through the worst period in our history right now. <laughs> I didn't want to say. It would go, it would be, 
and my my bandmates would have to be massively drugged up to agree to a, a tour based around South End fixtures. Um, and obviously, I've got I can't, there's this kind of fixation with musicians when you are a musician. But again, going back to what I was saying earlier, like I feel like the, all the all the bands that really came out in the seventies and Led Zeppelin probably up there is one of the main ones. They did it all for the first time. Yeah. So, you know, they had that unprecedented feel to what they were doing. The music was unprecedented. Um, it's hard to it's hard to attain that these days when you're when you're writing, but it must have been so so exciting to to know that you were doing something new yeah. now and it and, and to, to gauge and experience that reaction you know night after night city and country after country i can't get my head around how amazing the 70s would have been and without having to deal with the internet <laughs> yes indeed but you you as you're you're in a band you you know the band started off and it the story obviously has changed in the way that you have published your music you were taken on by alan mcgee on the pop tone label which obviously went down the pan very unfortunately but that kind of then shaped the sort of band you are so you you were breaking the rules in terms of of how music was published you know you were the first band to enter the billboard chart as you know without a physical cd weren't you without a physical product you know on the on the uh, on downloads yeah From, so what i'm saying is that you know you've in your own way the box of rebellion changed things and you're still unsigned you still are yeah. the masters of your own destiny aren't you the only album we've been signed for we signed a five album deal with um mercury before our first album um and that was the only album that well that's probably our worst performing album we never went outside the uk they we hammered the uk on about six or seven consecutive tours um again we would do we everything was new to us then we didn't really question much because there's this assumption that you sign <clears throat> you sign to a major and they know what they're doing yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah they didn't really um we just you've got to have the right in the same way that you've got to have the right um band members together you've also got to you've also got to have the right team around you working on what you're doing and really wanting to work on what you're doing and being as proud of what they're working on as you are. Yeah. And we never had any of that. And so, you know, since then, yeah, we, we kind of stumbled on the model because we produced music by hook or by crook ourselves. We were given an extremely rare and unique opportunity at the time, which was having our music released purely through iTunes alone. Yeah. And they gave us Global Single of the Week, which they'd only ever done for McCartney. And it was really because, it was really because, um, you know, the guy, the head of Alternative was a big fan of our first album. He found it in a record store when he was working in a record store and emailed mm -hmm. us and wondered what was going on with our second album. Well, nothing was. Right. So, um, we stumbled across that that result. So suddenly within... Um, I, we were just happy to have our album out. I had no idea of the power of iTunes really at the time. Yeah. And uh, I remember actually being around friends at dinner on a Saturday once and he said to me, oh, isn't your album out? 
tonight. And I'd almost forgotten about it. Right. And then a week later, we were in, I'd gone, you know, I was, I was working where you were working at the time. So I was, I was actually working, doing a, an office job and um, doing, working on travel news with you, thinking, actually being trained up to work on it. <laughs> and we had no idea. And then a week later, we were in the top five iTunes charts in the US and the UK, just on that one bit of promo from iTunes. No no, no press anywhere in the world. So we we didn't mean to change it like that, but we it but just it happened. Yeah. And then suddenly we went from only really having, to put it into perspective, I remember that Mercury only produced 5,000 copies of our first album that got distributed somewhere at some stage, but you know, they never sold anywhere near that in the first week or whatever. Right. And that was it. And then we did double that in the first week of Union being out with nothing behind us or no touring or anything. So we had Amazing. to service countries in the world that never knew we even had a first album. Which is probably why you ended up being your popular your popularity is as you say, you're only say number three in the UK in terms of popular you know, being popular in countries. So that yeah. helps your global reach. We were doing some, we did our first gigs in America, maybe six weeks later, I suppose. Right. Um, and yeah, we, we met our, we threw our really great new and dynamic manager at the time. who would only been looking after us for about three or four months. He'd got in contact with um, a high road touring out, out there. And there we had a, like Frank, we still do actually. It's fantastic. He's been in the game for years. And we, he took us out for dinner before our New York gigs. This is our first ever gig out in the States. And um, he'd been working on our music for, you know, a couple of months. He was booking a tour for the autumn. And, um, and then suddenly in conversation, I mentioned our first album. He said, yeah, no, I've, I've got it. I've been, work, I've been working. I was like, no, no, our first album. He didn't even, he, he was our North American <laughs> He didn't even know we had a first album. He was like, you are kidding me. I said, dude, we've been together for years. We've had an album out already. And he had no idea. And I'll never forget that. And so that's how we, we managed to get many opportunities in other countries that we might not have had because we were so new. And that's also why we didn't get as many opportunities in this country is because we'd already kind of been around the block. Yeah. You know, you get these, particularly in this country, you don't get many opportunities twice um you don't get your enemy radar pieces which don't exist anymore but you know stuff like that the new to queue and yeah, yeah. that are really important to bands in this country and it's not a huge industry you only get your shot at doing these things once and we you know we've had it so we left the uk alone for a bit because there was nothing to do it was all um, elsewhere yeah yeah so that's that's how it turned out to be a bit weird brilliant that's a really that's a great story Piers, we're, we're uh, up against the time. Let's uh, get on to number five. Question five. What's the tune? Uh, like one song. I know. Everybody, what, you want one song. Can I have an album? Can I have a... If you I mean, can. What's either, you know, your all-time favourite, one of them. You can choose what? an album or you could choose a song that you like now. It's really... Can't, it can't be too depressing because you're driving to it. Um, I mean, you could pick any... I mean... Uh, you got tears for fears. You got a bit of ELO. Anything to anything with the sun out is great. But I would probably pick. Got a little bit of a combination of a bit of downbeat, but actually just makes me want to 
Drive, which is um, Love Spreads by Stone Roses. Oh, yes. And it's, uh, it goes on a bit as well, which is great. It's got a great, the guitar work in that is fantastic. But it's not, you know, it's not classic, crunchy, overstated driving rock. It's a great driving tune from a great second album, you know, as yeah. uh, well as Simon Pegg, who I think has been quoted as being a fan of yours, of the Box of Rebellion. He uh, obviously in the film, Shaun of the Dead, they pick it out, don't they? I don't know whether you've seen the scene. Second Coming. Well, I like it. So, yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great tune. I like Love Spreads. Yeah. I'm glad that you approve. I do. I'm a big Stone Roses fan. Went to see them the same year I came to see you guys at... Uh, uh, no, it wasn't. It was the year before, wasn't it? Um, the comeback gigs. The year before I saw you and your band playing alongside the uh, Rolling Stones at Hyde Park in 2013, which was... 13, yeah. It was a very hot day. It was incredibly hot, but it was an amazing gig. I practically... I was closer to fainting from heat exhaustion after that show than any other show. Yeah. Well, Piers, that's a great... That's a great road trip. It's been really great to chat to you on, you know, in a year which has, I've just wanted to quote your lead singer, Nathan, using music as an escape or therapy. And I think, you know, um, your music, especially, especially your last album, that was all a lot about uh, mental health. And, you know, we've touched upon, I've touched my mental health with other uh, guests on the road trip over the past few weeks, you know, during lockdown. And uh, I think, you know, music and your music has has helped a lot of people through difficult times. Um, I'm sure this year, especially, um, because it's been, it's been, a, it's been an odd year, hasn't it? And I'm sure you're looking forward to, you, you've got gigs. Are you looking to, you know, get gigging again next year? Is it all still up in the air? Uh, we, I mean, in a way we were a little bit fortunate in that we were, we were kind of intentionally on a, on a bit of a hiatus, you know, six albums. It's a long, it's a long, it's a good run. Yeah. Two of us have, Two of us have got kids, which doesn't make things, you know, doesn't make being in America for two months that easy. Yeah. And it just kind of naturally came to a point where we had, a, we all had a couple of other things going on. We just kind of, you know, sat down and were taking in some breath for a little while. If we hadn't done that, we would have been in the middle of promoting a new album and, and it would have been a, it would have been a disaster. I, I can't moan about things too much in that regard because there are plenty of bands out there that was, that we're going to do some big things this year yeah um and we weren't one of those and and i feel i feel fortunate for that because we you know we work we're not we're not a muse or or a coldplay who can just go what well, we'll just write instead then <laughs> you know we, when you're when you're in the cycle you have to keep the cycle going really to, to make the make the wheels turn and of course i feel really sorry for all the bands, again, that we're going to do all these things for the first time. Yeah. They were going to get their first Glastonbury slot, or they were going to get on, um, get on on this tour, or or, or like, again, you only get that you only get that chance once. And I feel really lucky we've got we've got to do it. So I feel really sorry for bands like that. So I'm not going to get too upset. No. I feel it's been a weird time. It's been a weird time actually being in this position and thinking. Or how motivated are you to be creative? You know, I can't, I actually can't see this getting much better for quite a while. The last people to get their feet back on the ground are the, are the music industry. Yeah, it's um, been closed up, hasn't it? You know, a year, just under a year, it's crazy. 
I mean, the government said they were going to close for two weeks initially, and now here we are nine months later, and we're going to lose the other people I really feel sorry for, a crew, you know, who, who work tirelessly on tour after tour, going yeah. away. They don't earn royalties. They don't put any material out. They work for people who do that, and, and their jobs have just gone. Um, you know, so at least I've been, I teach, obviously, and that's been really good, but um, to have your entire livelihood just taken away with no real idea of when it will come back. Yeah. Um, it's unimaginable for me, really. So new bands and crew members, of, it's, I feel so sorry for them this year. And next yeah. year, next year is going to be tough too. It is, but I suppose it's just a, a case of getting back on an even keel next year and, you know, ready for the summer will be well. And I think we must leave it there, Piers. It's been fabulous to chat, as I say. And here's to seeing lots more of you and the Boxer Rebellion next year and beyond. Thanks again, Piers Hewitt. Thank you. Yeah.